You're listening to The Jay Barker Show on Tide 100.9 in Tuscaloosa. Illustrated, Matt Coulter, a former Alabama Broadcaster of the Year and longtime media personality, and Christian Miller, a national championship winning linebacker at Alabama who was drafted by the Carolina Panthers. Here's Lars, Matt, and Christian. Team, guys are challenging each other in practice every day. I mean, you look at, we've got 11 guys that can all really play. You know, it's hard to distribute minutes amongst 11 guys. So there's there's a competitiveness, and it's probably the best I've ever seen, a competitiveness while still really pulling for your teammates to do well, too. I mean, like I, today in practice, I thought Namari was really good on defense. You know, Rylan and Namari play similar positions. Rylan. You know, subs in says I'm, I'm trying to get like you tomorrow. Like I'm trying to get as good on defense as you are. You know, it's like one of those like they really want each other to do well, but they're also pushing each other to do even better. So it's a special group. But you guys have all covered sports, and you know complacency is a thing we've got to address, and we'll address it head on if we see it. Yeah, Tillo Smith kind of they go everything through him. You really were able to slow him down, and that's it. Uh, we talked about it yesterday. We've talked about it all year long. If um, Alabama can just maintain this consistency and not hit that law, and by the way, look at Kansas. You want to see a team that hit a law? <laughs> I mean, uh, earlier in the year, a lot of people think this this was a team that could win it all. They still can. Alabama will take on Mississippi State tonight. Auburn will be hosting Texas A&M. Welcome in Big Noon Sports, Matt. Lars in the studios here in Birmingham, and then over in Tuscaloosa, we got Christian Miller. Uh, we can talk some hoops, and we will later. John Brady, the locally, many of you may remember him when he coached at Sanford and um, had much success there, so much so that he went from Sanford to LSU and took the Tigers to the Final Four. So he'll join us in the second hour, and then we'll talk uh, Alabama OC and DC in just a few minutes with Chris Walsh of Bama Central. But first of all, just. Uh, Welcome in. Uh, not the prettiest of days. A little bit on the chilly side, Lars. It is, but uh, to me, it's a very bright day. My uh, twin girls are turning six. Can't believe it. Uh, Autumn and Farah, happy birthday. And uh, it just makes me go back to six years ago, which was uh, one of the scariest days of my life and one of the greatest days of my life. Um uh th- their mom had uh some complications and uh it was touch and go and um and the girls had to go to the the, the nick u and i it was so funny like i ended up staying at the hospital for about a week they gave me a room they were uh, wonderful there over at brookwood and uh, uh they were in incubators and I would go and see the girls at all hours of the of the night, and uh, they had blankets over the incubators. And whenever I'd open the the uh, the lift the blanket up on Autumn's, she'd just be resting peacefully, you know, angelic. And then when I would lift lift the blanket up on Farah's. Her eyes would be wide open, like, Daddy, I'm ready to go. Get me out of here. <laughs> and that's, it's funny because that is kind of how their personalities have turned out. And it's a happy story. Their, their mom was fine. Uh, the girls were great. 
and I remember just uh, carrying both of them out of the hospital in the, in, in their little baby carriages, uh, and uh, thinking, what the heck did I just get myself into? It is both a exhilarating moment, Matt, and a terrifying moment. Do you remember walking out of the hospital? Oh, yeah. I mean, we already you know, had we already it. had Lincoln. But now it was a game changer because uh, you can't play man-to-man defense anymore. <laughs> April and I had to go to a zone, and uh, it was it was overwhelming. But it was overwhelming in a great way. Well, and congratulations to them and to you, and made it to, um, and made to it April as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and they're just cute as can be. Good luck in ten years, by the way. Uh, actually, yeah. this day and age, good luck in seven or eight years. Yeah, uh, the way things go. Yeah. But, uh, anyway. I mean, they basically already have phones. They they have the gizmo watches, and and my daughter, uh, actually both of them, called me this morning at about six, uh, wanting me to wish them happy birthday and asking me if I got them presents. And of course, I did. And it's so always so great to to hear from them. And uh, Christian, I know all this is kind of. Uh, uh, not over your head, but nothing you've experienced yet in life. And uh, and uh, I would say wait as long as you possibly can. But how are you doing today, Christian? <laughs> you don't have to worry about that. I definitely plan on waiting, especially until I'm married, especially, you know, in today's society. Um, I hate to say it like that, but, you know, divorce rates are high. And the last thing I want to do is put myself in that position. My parents actually were divorced. So uh, my goal is to wait till I'm married and hopefully, um, you know, in a stable situation. That way my kids aren't, aren't raised in a um, you know, a split home or a single parent home. But anyway, I'm doing well. Um, you know, another day to talk some sports. So I'm excited about that. Yeah. You know, uh, I was looking at this stat and, uh, that I wanted to bring up and sorry, I couldn't be in here yesterday, but, um, you look at the last five offensive coordinators at Alabama and what their career paths were after leaving Tuscaloosa, you have uh, one who goes to FAU as a head coach, who's now the head coach at Ole Miss. You know who that is. Uh, we have one that becomes the Bills' offensive coordinator, who's now the head coach of the New York Giants. We know who that is. We have one who's now the head coach of the Maryland Terrapins. We know who that is. We have one who is now the head coach of the Texas Longhorns. We know who that is. And now Bill <laughs> O'Brien is the the OC at the at the Patriots, and um, you know uh, it, it's a pretty good gig, uh, I would think, uh, f- uh, th- that to become the offensive coordinator at Alabama. Well, history certainly City. bears that out. You know, the last five <laughs> look where they are right now. Yeah, I mean, all of them except O'Brien are, are head coaches, and not only that, they're head coaches at, at, at high-profile places. Um, so, uh, I, I don't know, Christian. Do, do you have a, I, again? I didn't get a chance to talk to you guys yesterday, and I, I'm sure you reviewed this. But, but y- your thoughts on the offensive coordinator search and and what you uh, what you expect? Uh, where you know, kind of where Nick Saban is looking does he want to go with somebody he's familiar with is is it going to be an outside the box kind of hire just what's your analysis of it I, I hate to say this to you man but I, I can't offer much um, I don't really know where to start with the offense coordinators I don't um, you know defensively I can kind of offer some insight just because some of the names you know I've experienced with 
Um, but in terms of offensive okay. coordinators, well, well, I, I don't, yeah. I don't okay. know let's, any let's of them. Go. I don't. Um, yeah. I, I'm just kind of. Well, I'd be making something up. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Well, let's well let's go look on the defensive side of the ball. I mean, it's so strange to me that Alabama has the number one recruiting class in the country. And perhaps maybe the, the the best recruiting class in the history of uh, to, you know twenty four seven ranking, and yet they don't have an offensive coordinator right now, and they don't have a defensive coordinator right now. But uh, on the defensive side of the ball, uh, Christian, uh, that's your specialty. What 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 do you think? Well, you know, a lot of people are, are you know advocating for Jeremy Pruitt, which I think would be a, a great hire. You know, he has experience coaching here. He's um, Alabama through and through. I know he was formerly the head coach of Tennessee, but you know if you get to know him, you know he loves um, Alabama and he's very prideful um, about the state of Alabama. So um, it's one of those things where I think he'd be you know a home run hire. However, um, you just have to wonder what type of constraints or limitations would there be, if any, if he were to be hired, um, given the situation of, of how it kind of transpired at Tennessee with some of the allegations. So I think that's the biggest hurdle with him. Um, but I think if you could bring him back in some type of role, I think um, he'd be a huge addition. Um, you know, a lot of people like Glenn Schumann, but I think he's you know pretty stuck over there at Georgia. Uh, I think he's happy there. You know, him and Kirby are very close, and um, you know he's pretty much calling the plays um, for that defense over there. You know, they're having success, and um, I just don't see him leaving Georgia to come back here. Um, and and so I, I don't I don't really know you know where they could go. I mean. You got a guy like Will Muschamp potentially. Um, you know, I, I know. Was it Jim Leonard? A lot of people talk about. Um, yeah, who's obviously a, a really, coordinator uh, from Wisconsin. Yeah, obviously a really good coach. Um, but I just I don't. Again, I don't know necessarily too much about him. But from what I hear, he's a, a phenomenal football coach, and I think um, you know that's that's one you know part of the of, of this of this search. But you also got to look at you know can these guys recruit? You know, that's a, another battle right now is. Um, being able to out recruit these guys because you you know again yes we have the number one recruiting class but you have to maintain that right you know and, and a lot goes into that these guys have to be able to get on the road and build these relationships and um, you know really sell guys on the program here and um, you know that's another proponent of, of being a, a coordinator you have to be able to recruit well so um, the bottom line is um, I don't even like really talking about these <laughs> these coordinator searches because at the end of the day, Coach Saban's going to make his choice, and, and we everybody can speculate and, and try to guess, and, and uh, you know. But at the end of the day, they're going to hire who they want to hire. They're going to go for a guy who's the best fit, who they feel that that adds the most, um, you know, to to that position, and, and can help them get to where they want to be. Obviously, Alabama's coming um, from a, a position where. Um, you know, uh, they, they, they haven't won a national championship. They played in it the year prior, but they, they didn't make the playoffs this past year. So um, I, I think they're obviously looking to you know, get back um, to that level of play that, that you know, they're used to and, and back to that standard. So whoever is going to be is somebody who can uh, employ and, and, and enforce that standard and hopefully bring back that, that culture and tradition of excellence around there. Chris Walt from Bama Central is going to join us in about five minutes. And, uh, he will offer his opinions on the OC and DC. I did see something earlier today uh, about the possibilities of Dan Mullen, who in many ways would be a good hire. Certainly experienced with the league. Uh, he knows how to recruit here, and he is widely regarded as, as a great offensive coordinator and, and a good play caller. But anytime you see a story and Chris Lowe is yeah. associated with it, you go, all right. 
He's not going there. Yeah, Chris Lowe reported that Dan wants to stay in television and spend more time with his family. So, uh, yeah, I mean, when, when Chris Lowe writes something, especially about Alabama, uh, it's pretty much a gospel truth. When we get back, we'll talk with Bama Central's Chris Walsh right here on Big Noon Sports. From T-Town to the Plains, this is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. Want to know what's going on with the Crimson Tide? Download the Tide 100.9 app today. The radio stations of Town Square Media Tuscaloosa want to make your big game tailgate party better with Pepsi. One winner will win a big game tailgate party with a big 60-inch flat screen. Cloudy below 33. Tomorrow, a mix of sun and clouds with a high at 49. Friday, a sunny day with a high at 54. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 47 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Here we go. go. Big noon sports. Yeah, thank you, sir. Uh, Matt hit the wrong button here at Crawford. Uh, Let's bring on Chris Walsh of Bama Central. How are you? I'm good. How are you guys? Um, Pretty good, actually, but we're just going to go straight to the expert. Uh, Just name them. You can break it right here. You can also put it on Bama Central. Who are the next offensive and defensive coordinators at the University of Alabama? Inquiring minds want to know, and Chris, you've got the info. Well, it's, you know, it's, it's one of those things, and it's, it's, you know, the question I'm getting from everyone, and I, my answer has been pretty consistent in that Saban's not in a hurry. You know, he's uh, focused on recruiting. He's got National Signing Day next week, but the more importantly right now for him is that he's got windows um, where he can really – be active in recruiting and he's out and about. And, um, so right now it is not at the top of his to-do list, even though that's the question everybody wants to know. So we, we may not know this for another, you know, couple weeks. Chris, how does this impact recruiting moving forward, given the fact that, uh, uh that, O, uh, that uh, O'Brien and, and, and Alabama's former defensive coordinator, Pete, uh, were out on the trail recruiting, presumably, for the class of 2024. Um, does this hurt them? No, not at all. Especially, uh, you know, the class, you know, that, they, that they're in the process of adding right now. Just Everyone's already on campus for the most part. So, 
um, next week for signing day, they might add one guy. So it's, um, it's, there's really no impact at all. And, and, you know, how many times have you ever heard a guy say, Oh, I went to that school because of the coordinator. Uh, it doesn't happen. You know, it's, it's the head coach. Um, it's, uh, you know, these days you got to include NIL and, and all the other factors, um, like that. But, uh, you know, Saban's laying the groundwork for the future, and I'm sure he's telling them that they're going to have a top coordinator on, 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 on both sides. And, you know, we're all going to find out soon enough. It's the only people who are impatient about this are really the fans. Um, Saban's very, it seems to be very content where he's at right now, and, and he'll make the moves when he's ready to make them. No, I agree with you on that, Chris. I, I think it's one of those things where if you, if you know him, he's going to do his due process. He's not in a hurry. He's going to get the right person for the job. And quite frankly, it's Alabama. You know, he's not going to have to sell anything. The, people want to come coach for him and coach at the university. So he really is going to have his pick. It's just a matter of who he feels like is the best fit um, for those positions. But in terms of uh, my question, I wanted to ask you, if you had to put your money on it, who would you say would be the quarterback next year at Alabama? Do you think it's – uh, a guy like Ty Simpson or, or Jalen Milrow, or do you see them going in the portal and potentially grabbing a quarterback? I I, I don't think they're going to go to the portal unless there's just somebody there that is just too good to you know to pass up kind of thing. Uh, I I think that the quarterback is going to be one of the you know they've got two returning guys they've got guy coming in or you know uh, quarterbacks coming in um, who. You know, if if somebody if, if a freshman walked in and was the best guy from day one, we know that that guy would probably end up be you know end up being the starting quarterback. So um, I don't really want to speculate on who's going to be the starting quarterback because we still have spring football to go. You know, I mean, and and everything can change in the spring. Both guys are going to get opportunities, and and you know, whomever kind of comes out on top is going to come out of the spring as as. First on the depth chart, and, and whomever is second, well, either be happy with it or, or he'll transfer. We know the way that that goes. So um, it's 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 just it's too early to speculate, really. Chris, I'm not trying to pin you down on anything. I just I found it interesting. You and and it, it is true, but you said that right now these coordinator hires are not really Nick Saban's priority. So, and again, this is not a, a buttonhole question, but what is his priority right now? What's he doing? Recruiting. Recruiting, 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 recruiting. People forget that, you know, recruiting is, is basically half the game, and Nick Saban is as good as, of a recruiter as he is a coach and, and as good as a CEO. So it's, it's, he's busy. He's, he's out, you know, doing stuff. He's talking to kids. He's visiting coaches and, 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 and so forth. So um, he is... And, and see, this is to me the biggest difference between Saban and and everybody else. He enjoys it as much as he does anything else. And you know, normally with a lot of these coaches, they're either really good at the coaching part of it, they're really good at the CEO part of it, or they're really good at the recruiting part of it. They have somebody who is top notch at all three. That's really, really rare, and that's why Saban really stands out. Chris. Given the fact that Alabama seems to, uh, at least in this recruiting class, um, gone after really big offensive linemen, uh, do you think there's going to be a shift in offensive philosophy, even just like a little bit of a minor shift, 
uh, where the running game perhaps is emphasized a little bit more next year, especially given the fact that, I, I, frankly, I think it's going to be Ty Simpson, but but who knows? Uh, if if if, uh, if you look at the past, it's always been uh, Nick Saban lets the sort of almost the players decide themselves, right? Who wins over the team? And I think a lot of that will have to do with with spring and maybe even early into fall. But do you do you sense a, a, a philosophical shift in uh, how the offense is run next year? I think if anything, they're going to get faster. I think they're going to be doing more tempo. Um, uh, it, it, they're going to go back a little bit the, the way they were before Bryce Young. They went a little bit more pro set. Um, pro style with uh, with uh, with O'Brien, which is you know big reason why they had him. It, you know they had Young and they had O'Brien, and they were going to their strengths. So I think it's going to be a little bit more like we saw with with Mac Jones. I do, however, when I say that, um, I, I think they were a little disappointed in the interior run game this year, and, and I think they'd like to get a little better at that. And that's you know has to do with with the personnel both on the line and, and in the backfield. So I do think there's going to be a little bit more of a, we got to get back to what we're, what, what we're known for in that respect. You know, it's, it's Mark, you know, Ingram, it's, it's, it's Derrick Henry. It's those kind of guys. And, and granted those kind of guys don't grow on trees, but um, I, I, that in terms of the running game, that's really the only shift I think we're going to see, but it's, it's, I think it's crucial that they've already identified kind of the direction that, that they want to go and say them, you know, he, he kind of tipped his hand a little bit at, at the end of last year and saying that we're going to be going a little bit more towards um, towards what we used to do. And that, to me, is going to be the most important thing when it comes to hiring an offensive coordinator. It's getting that kind of guy. Chris, I want to shift gears. Hey, let's oh, – uh, Go ahead, Matt. Yeah, sure, go ahead. No, 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 you got it. Go ahead. Well, I was going to shift gears to basketball, and, I, and I'll pass to you on the interior. Oh, well, that's what I was going to ask. I was going to see if you could preview this upcoming game that they have uh, tonight. Yeah, pretty good team. <laughs> um, it's it's been fun watching these guys on the court, and obviously they've had to deal with uh, you know a monumental issue off of it. But you know, you look at on paper, uh, Alabama is as good as any team in the in, in the nation, and and, and has been for a little while. And I actually did a tail of the tape earlier this week when the polls have Purdue one, Alabama two. It's like, well, let's, let's, let's put them side by side. Let's take a look and see, you know, how they measure up. And so that was kind of a, an interesting story that we had at Bama Central. Uh, the thing about Purdue, I mean, okay, Purdue was a little bit of a surprise at the beginning of the season. You know, they weren't even ranked. And then they came out and, and did really well in the holiday tournaments. But you look at Purdue's schedule right now, and I mean they're winning uh, like two of the last three of the last uh, four games or something like that. They've won by or no, there's three games recently that they've won by three points or fewer. And you look at at Purdue's schedule, and it's not impressive. Uh, the rest of the Big Ten has kind of fallen off. Purdue can actually go the the rest of the regular season without playing another ranked opponent, whereas Alabama has got to play. You know Tennessee and Auburn back to back. They got to play Auburn twice. Yeah, it's, the SEC is just brutal this year. So it's you could actually see a shift between one and two without you know even 
having a loss by the Boilermakers. But um, I kind of sidestep your question a little bit. You know, Alabama's played Mississippi State. They know what to expect. They 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 won at the Hump, which is a really tough place. Can be a really tough place to play. Um, if this team's focused, it, you know, it should come out on top. But uh, you know, that's why they play the games. Indeed. Uh, we'll continue the basketball talk on the other side of this break. You're listening to Bama Central's Chris Walsh. Chris, as we roll on the break, tell everybody how they can dial y'all in both online and listen and how they can follow you personally. Bama Central, we're your Sports Illustrated home for all things Crimson Tide, so it's BamaCentral.com. Uh, Bama Central is also our Twitter handle, and, I, you know, we – we try to do anything and everything from podcast to, you know, we had a softball story this week. Uh, we're, we're the only ones who cover softball. Uh, so come check us out. You're going to hang for another break, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm good. All right. Be right back. From T-Town to the Plains, this is Alabama's most in-depth analysis on the SEC. This is Big Noon Sports. With Taco Casa, you know, it's not really fast food because it's made fresh every day in the store. The quality hasn't changed. The consistency hasn't changed because even... Back on Big Noon Sports... Matt, Christian, Lars, Joe, John, Aiden, the gang is all here bringing the show on a hump day afternoon. Uh, Chris Walsh is with us from Bama Central. We've been talking some Bama basketball. Um, everybody wants to talk about Brandon Miller, and I think that's, uh, that's hey, it's a very worthy talk uh, topic. Uh, everybody in the nation's talking about him. I want to talk about Clowney, though, and, you know, he's just, he's, he's you know, he's a freshman, too. Uh, by the way, Clowney's pretty good too, isn't he, Chris? Clowney's really good. In fact, it's some of the draft projections you're seeing right now. If if he comes out, if he's a one and done player as well, he's almost a lottery pick. He's close. He's not quite there, supposedly. Um, but you know, you have to remember it's it's his first season, and he's probably going to be showing more and doing more as as he goes steps further. I think he's got a shot, actually. I, I don't know, uh, you know, it's, it's going to end up being, it would end up being kind of right team at the right place that would take him kind of thing. But yeah, he's, he's doing really, really well. And, 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 and like you said, he's not getting the attention that he deserves. Chris, I, I think it's Seth Davis at uh, Sports Illustrated, a, a good friend uh, who annually uh, puts together his all glue team. And basically, a, a glue guy in basketball, as I understand it, is, is someone kind of who holds a team together in a sense, uh, does all the little things, you know. He's, he's, he's that guy at, at the gym that you don't want guarding you just because he's just hounding you. And, and, uh, and, but he doesn't necessarily, you know, show up huge on the stat sheet. Is there a player like that? at Alabama that you would say, hey, this is this is the glue guy for the Alabama Crimson Tide? You know, a couple of years ago, that, that would have been the easiest question in the world because you would have just said it, it's Herb Jones, you know. And, I mean, an outstanding defensive player was that guy who was, 
you know, everyone looked to and, and, you know, ended up being the SEC Defensive Player of the Year and, and you know, having a, a really good NBA career now. Um, I don't know if there's necessarily one on this team, and I say that because I think they might have a bunch of glue guys on this team. Um, the buy-in on this on this team, as from what we can tell, it was immediate. I mean, it was from the get-go, and, and I keep going back to beginning of the season or before the season started, and Oates came right out and said, he said, if you aren't playing defense, you ain't playing, period. And it hasn't been a problem. The team's been terrific defensively all season long, and it's a huge part of their success, obviously. And, I mean, now look at them. I mean, we're, we're having a debate. Or we could have a debate about, you know, should they be number one kind of thing, um, uh, which is kind of mind, mind-blowing. But, I, you know, it's, it's, I, I, for every single guy, I could sit there and say, well, I think it might be this guy. There's five others on this team that I could say that about. So um, we'll call it a glue team. <laughs> yeah. yeah well put Chris I just want to ask you about you know, a common theme with this team is that they are so mature even though they're a young team everyone displays um, immense uh, maturity and I just want uh, you to kind of touch on that in the job that Nate Oates has done um, to kind of uh, implement that throughout his team and to have these guys playing uh, so maturely and, and just you know really buying into his program because uh, um, you know, it's one thing to have the talent, but it's another thing to develop that talent and to get those guys to buy in. So could you kind of just touch on the job that Coach Oates has done um, in terms of having these guys in the program, developing, playing for in, under his system and, and really just playing with a sense of maturity? Uh, sure. Um, you know, it's one of our guys did a story this week about how, you know, it, it's, Oates is really the perfect coach for this team and, and, and the, the guy to lead this, to lead this program. And you kind of say, well, that's obvious, but, uh, what he was, what he was writing about was just kind of that, um, how, you know, and granted, I mean, they, they had this huge thing that they had to deal with, with the shooting and so forth. And I mean, that would, that would derail a lot of basketball teams, just especially since, you know, you're only talking about 12 to 15 guys usually on a team and to lose someone, who, you know, it's, it's just, it's such a horrible situation. Um, yeah, that could easily cause a season to get derailed. And, um, he seemed to have handled it really, really well. And I, you know, I like part of his approach was just simply asking a lot of people, what do I do? What do they need to hear? You know, how do we handle this? How do we move forward? And, uh, yeah, it wasn't like it, you know, some coaches, they might have said, oh, I can, I can handle this. It's no big deal. Kind of thing. Well, I mean, it is a big deal, but, um, uh, you know, I'm going to handle it my way and we're going to deal with it internally. And then you never hear from the team again, kind of thing. So, uh, it's, you know, I really, I really like Nate and, and, and his approach and, and how he goes about things. And he, he's very personable. I mean, I, I I just I can't imagine that there wouldn't be that there wouldn't be a, situ- a situation would come up where the players didn't feel comfortable going to the coach about something, um, just because that's the kind of coach he is. And so, in terms of maturity, yeah, I mean it's you know we all know that Brandon Miller's a one and done player, but he's he's not playing like a freshman, and Claudie's not playing like a freshman. I could go right down the list and. 
Um, none of these guys are, are acting immature in, in, in any way. And I think they kind of sense now it's, um, there's a lot going on with this team and, and they can really go far in the NCAA tournament. And it, this, this is, this has a chance to be the best team in, in, in Alabama history. We'll, we'll know at the end, but, uh, they're sure looking at it that way right now. Hey, Chris, I want to ask you about Nate Oates, because a lot is made, and rightfully so, about his analytics. He's a math teacher. Um, he, he sees no point in shooting anything other than underneath the basket or outside three-point range. Uh, players know that. We're all buying into it. Everybody knows it. Does he ever talk about that? I mean, I, oh, yeah, I know I, he doesn't get the chalkboard out and do calculus, but <laughs> does, does he talk about how he uses math in his game? He, he, there was um, there was a, a a comment from his press conference this uh, this week where somebody asked him a question and he said, "Well, ana- analytically, it makes sense to do they, you know this, 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 and this." It was kind of like uh, the answer. Uh, you know, you could have just said yes, and that would have been fine. It was it was kind of one of those. Uh, he does, and um, you know, it's you know basketball. It's, you think it's a simple game. It's just you know, it's it's we score more points than, than they do, but um, it, it's it's not quite that simple. And his approach, uh, you know, for players, it you know every single every single guy that we that we talk to that comes out of that the, the program, we're like, you know, what really appealed to you? We're like, oh, I love that style of basketball. You know, we love without playing that kind of a game, and it's they love running the floor. You know, if they can run the other team out of the room, you know. It's 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 just another way that they can win. But um, the the thing that really sets this team, in my mind, apart is is its depth. Just because you know you can have a night where Brandon Miller is isn't on, and it doesn't matter. And and if, and another thing, and this kind of ties to what we we're talking about before. You know, it, even if his shot isn't falling, and granted that hasn't been too often, um, you know, he finds other ways to contribute and and, and help his teammates out. And then, you know, you get one of those nights where the shots really start falling like LSU, and we've now seen what happens with that. So um, a lot of ways that they can win, a lot of ways. All right, Chris, I'm going to be that annoying guy, that annoying reporter who asks you to look into uh, your crystal ball. How long does NATO stay at Alabama? Ooh. <laughs> Honestly, I think if I, I think if uh, Greg Byrne could tie him down right now, um, you know, with a lot of duct tape or whatever, uh, I think I think he would <laughs> in a heartbeat. Um, at this point, I think we already know what kind of potential he's got, and um, with someone like this running the program, uh, the potential is pretty much unlimited. Uh, they've got to get an arena built. That's that's next thing, and and they've had a little bit of some bad luck with. You know, inflation right now is, is um, the the cost of supplies that you need to build something like that are are, too, are just too high right now. But I mean, they've cleared the space. I mean, it's there. It's it's they took all the uh, debris from Tutwiler when they when they tore it down and they shipped it across campus and they used that to put down the foundation for where the basketball arena is going to be. So um, they they've got the place. They got everything ready to go. They just got to. The, the money side of it's just got to kind of work out. So, um, you know, it's funny because like every once in a while I see one of those things where it's like, uh, you know, such and such job is open. Oh, they should call Nate Oates. And I just, I just kind of laugh. 
<laughs> you know, it's just, yeah, okay. Um, you know, it's, it took right place, right time to get Oates to leave Buffalo. Unless something, somebody, unless somebody really screws this up, I don't think he's going anywhere. I think he's going to be here a long time. Wow. I am just overwhelmed and impressed and um, very happy to know that Alabama's new basketball arena will be built on the foundation of Tuttlewire. <laughs> Isn't that just really weird? <laughs> that, uh, it's, it's weird. It's cool. It's made me think. Probably too much. So probably a good time to go to break, and thank you Wait, for your time. Did you have some uh, good experiences in Tuttlewire? I can't talk about that. No. Whoa. We're not going there. I love I, 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 I I'll tell uh, you this, though. I told, I told Greg Bird I thought it was brilliant that they did that. So um, it, it, I, yeah, you just kind of laugh. Times two. It also probably <laughs> is very, very smart economically. But uh, right now I'm not thinking about the economics of it. I am thinking about getting a break. Thank you, Chris. Thanks, Chris. Good right. stuff, man. Have, have a great one, guys. Good talking to you. All right. You too. Bama Central, Chris Wallace. Did you guys see, and I know you did, the last play that the Cowboys tried to run this past weekend? <laughs> yeah. Did it not leave you as it did uh, Jimmy Johnson dumbfounded? <laughs> Zeke Elliott got blown up. Just tossed back on his keister. But, see, he's not used to that. Anyway, Matt, we'll talk about that in the NFL on the other side of this break. More Big Noon Sports coming up. By now. You know that sound. It's the sound of the Home Depot. But what about those sounds? Those are the sounds of an LG wash tower with ultra-largely cloudy below 33. Tomorrow, a mix of sun and clouds with a high at 49. Friday, a sunny day with a high at 54. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 48 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Back on Big Noon Sports, it's Christian and Lars and Matt and our usual cast of characters. I'm sure most of the people that were watching the NFL games over the weekend watched down to the last minute, seconds, of the Cowboys and 49ers. Um, and they lined up in this crazy play. They had three to the top, three to the bottom. Ezekiel Elliott. Of all people, was the center. Yeah, the offensive linemen were out wide. It just it it, it, yeah. it made no sense. Now, had it worked, it a, we'd be talking about something was, else. But. Yeah, it was a gadget play, obviously. But right? why would you take one of your best ball carrier and well, have him I think, snap the ball? Was he supposed is, to be he, in the? Uh, is he? He would be eligible to receive the ball at some point in that play. Like I didn't think well, he they, couldn't they, catch they, it initially. Not initially, no. And and also the the receiver who caught the ball over the middle, um, uh, clearly he wasn't expecting the ball to come to him. And Cavante uh, Turpin, because um, Prescott dropped back quickly, he gets the snap uh, from Ezekiel Elliott. And oddly, you know, it's the first snap from center that Elliott's ever take ever done in the NFL. Really? And it may be his last <laughs> snap with the so. it may be his last snap with the Dallas Cowboys because he has the ability to opt out of his contract uh, this this off season. But uh, so Turpin catches the ball, and he was hit almost immediately, 
and it clearly was a shock to him that he got the ball and he fell to the ground and whatever magic the Cowboys were trying to invoke there uh, didn't work and Mike McCarthy uh, didn't want to elaborate on what they were trying to do because uh, <laughs> it was not executed uh, at all. Um, Christian, do you have any idea what was the thinking behind that play? Yeah, I mean, it was a, a gimmick play, right? And I think Ezekiel Elliott was there because um, he kind of was a decoy uh, to get attention. I mean, in, in that situation, you can't really throw a Hail Mary from your own 24-yard line or whatever um, yard line they were on. It was pretty far back. So uh, Hail Mary is now kind of out of out of question. Um, so the next, you know, you know, last resort play is usually a hook and ladder. It's where you throw the ball initially to one guy. You have another guy trailing him closely. As soon as that guy catches it, he kind of dumps it right off, tosses it back to another guy. Um, so if I had to guess, it was some form of a hook and ladder play. Um, and, and my only thought about Ezekiel, Ezekiel Elliott being there is that it's a funky for, formation. It provides, you know, you know, it creates confusion for the defense. Uh, might just kind of get them a little confused and hesitant and just might give you just enough time or space to kind of um, get your hook and ladder going and then have guys trailing and, and kind of, you know, you know, let, let the play kind of play out. And uh, obviously that never transpired. But, um, you know, you'd assume that, that they practiced that um, and went over that. And it obviously didn't look like what, it, you know, we saw in the field. But um, I, I think it, there was probably some um you know reasoning for everything it's just that we never got to see the full play develop but it, it, my guess would be it'd be a a form of the hook and ladder um with some type of you know decoy or, or ploy to kind of throw the defense off just to give them a little bit of space or time to try to get the the you know the play going what would you and your teammates have done defensively i mean what's the What's protocol when somebody throws a formation like that? Obviously, they've practiced it, but you have, you've never seen it. Uh, what do you do defensively? Do you just kind of line up and say, all right, I got this guy, I got this guy, or you play zone? Uh, what do you do? And, and uh, a follow-up to that is, uh, have you ever been involved in a game where somebody threw something like that at you and what happened? You mean that formation? I've seen funky formations. Yeah, no, like just that. any any wild play. Well, a lot yeah. of teams use that kind of formation, not exactly the same, but a similar looking formation where they put uh, linemen out, uh, almost like receiver positions. It's it's common for two point plays. I don't know if you guys knew that or not, um, but that's actually a common thing. We actually used to practice that at Alabama pretty often. Uh, I can't think of the name right now. It's it's not coming up, but um, uh, a lot of teams would kind of throw that funky formation out there just to throw you off. But to answer your question, when you get that, you just you continue to practice the integrity of your defense. You stick to your principles, and uh, um, you just have to you know stick to your rules and, and know that all right, if this guy's lined up here, this is my responsibility. You just have to adjust um, in terms of you know um, your alignment um, to those things. That's what we would do. We would just adjust accordingly. We would adjust our alignment and then uh, play the integrity of the defense. Um, so if you're responsible uh, for the curl flat, you still have the curl flat. You just uh, you just align accordingly because you obviously don't want to be outmanned. Um, you know, say they were to throw the ball, uh, like, you know, a little a bubble screen real quick and then uh, have all those linemen out there. Obviously, you need to adjust. So um, I think we I practiced a formation against uh, similar um, in practice and pretty much you, you match up with their guys. You know, everybody spreads out with their guys. 
Um, you have one guy or, or, or excuse me, like two or three guys over the center uh, to, to be responsible for him, the quarterback and, and potentially a running back. And then the rest, you know, everybody shifts out to match them. And when they come back in, you, you, you know, you come back in. That's typically what teams will do. They'll line up, they'll, they'll line up in a formation like that to get you kind of out of sorts and confused. Then they'll shift back in real quick. Um, so I actually believe it or not, have seen some weird stuff like that. And uh, that just goes to show you Alabama, um, <laughs> they prepare you for every and any situation. So we've literally practiced against formations like that. Now, have I seen it in a game? Maybe once. And again, it's usually on a two-point conversion or extra point. Sometimes they'll do that like in a field goal formation. They'll start like that just to, to see if they can get a, a look and they might have a play designed if you don't get in the right um, adjustment. And then if not, they just come back to a typical field goal. It was also not a good ending for the game for Dallas tight end Dalton Schultz. Um, he made two really poor plays. Uh, one was uh, uh, when he caught the ball on a, on a third and one. Instead of just going directly out of bounds, he allowed the defender to knock him backwards as he crossed out of bounds. Yeah. And by rule, with less than two minutes to go, that's a running clock. And by that time, Dallas had burned all of its timeouts. And then with 10 seconds left, um, or I'm sorry, then he also, uh, I think it was actually the play before that, uh, uh, Schultz uh, made no extra effort to tap his second foot on the sideline uh, to get that foot in, uh, which would have put the ball at the 39-yard line, and that perhaps could have put them in range for an epic heave by by uh, Dak Prescott to the end zone, but you know it all for naught. The weather outside might be cold, but these deals at Townsend Nissan are hot, like two thousand dollar discounts on select new Nissans and finance rates as low as one point nine. Welcome back to Big Noon Sports with Lars Anderson, Matt Coulter, and Christian Miller. And we're off and running for the second hour. By the way, um, John Brady will be joining us at the bottom of the hour, but that offers us a half an hour to open up our phone lines once again. Um... As you probably know, listening to this show is relatively new. It's just been around for a couple of months. So we're establishing phone calls and regular phone callers. So if you want to dial in, whether you're in Aniston, Gadsden area, Tuscaloosa, or right here in the Magic City, you can dial 205-342-9904. And topics are pretty much unlimited. You want to talk about that crazy play with the Cowboys, that's fine. Alabama's got basketball tonight as they take on Mississippi State. Um, Auburn is hosting Texas A&M, and they also possess the longest home winning streak in the nation since Gonzaga lost, uh, like, last week. Uh, But they've won 28 in a row, and um, I think it'll be 29. Although A&M is a difficult opponent because they'll kind of maul and brawl you. So that's another topic if you want to dial in. Also, I mean, you know, we're midway through the week. You got the conference finals this weekend. You got San Francisco at Philly, Bengals at Kansas City. Uh, and by the way, a note on that, a note on that, that um, uh, I think I'm the only one that would remember this. You may know it because you're up 
y'all may know it because you've read your NFL history, but um, who was the last University of Alabama quarterback to win an MVP? Kenny Stabler? Boom! <laughs> Man, you just... That was a lucky guess. You just took... Well, that. I know that you and Kenny were friends, so I figured that's why... <laughs> <laughs> oh. And uh, yeah, because you've told me some stories that uh, are more appropriate oh, for, for a podcast. Yeah, <laughs> yes, exactly for a <laughs> podcast. Um, Christian, I, I got a couple questions for you. A couple NFL questions. Um, first off, what is a typical Wednesday like uh, in NFL? I know it's uh, it's usually the first day of practice. Uh, for the media, it's the first time that you get a chance really to uh, talk to the you know, head coach, gives a press conference. Typically, the starting quarterback gives a press conference. Locker room is open. Um, but just kind of walk us through kind of what these teams are going through today. Um, yeah, well, I mean, it's the, the first practice um, for that opponent. Um, Tuesday is your off day, so... Wednesday, you're back in the, the in the facilities. You're you're you know looking at the team that you're about to face. Um, I'm sure guys already got head starts. You know, yeah, yeah. You have iPads that's your issue. So the guys have probably been watching these guys. But um, you you as a team, you know, you'll you'll meet in team meeting room, kind of discuss uh, the philosophy for this week, game plan moving forward. Um, you might have a, a workout uh, to do at some point, but it's just your typical. Typical day, you know, you, you have meetings and you go are, out to practice. Are you in pads, or I, are, are, there's just a, a a limited amount of times you can be in pads during this season, right? Or are you just like in shells? Right. Um, I guess it depends on the team how they utilize those number of days. Um, you know, typically, if if you are going to have pads, you you would have pads on a Wednesday because um, you want to do it. You know further away from the game you know you play on a sunday right so wednesday would be ideal to do pads um so yeah you normally would have pads but this late in the season typically uh, teams have almost used up those days for the most part so and they they know guys are you know a little worn down a little beat up so they honestly might not be using padded practices any anymore they might just have shells which is shorter pads than you know shorts regular shorts so no no uh, pads in, in, in the in, in your tights, but um, just allows you to kind of be a little more, a little more loose, and, and then you'll have a little less contact. Um, but then you know Thursday, Friday, you might actually just move to spider pads, which is basically just you know foam padding. Um, it's not even really a shoulder pad. It's basically just equivalent to a helmet's practice, but just a slight amount of protection on the shoulders, just you know for security. But um, yeah, Wednesday, yeah, just typical. Typical practice. And there, there, there was a really intriguing roster move made yesterday that I don't. Not many people are talking about. The Bengals claimed former Kansas City Chiefs cornerback Chris Lamonts after he was released on Monday, right? And 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 Lamonts, he's not permitted to join the Bengals uh, until Monday, February thirteenth, the day after the Super Bowl. And the waiver claim is deferred until that specific date. However, Lamont can be in the building. 
And LeMond is there. He was their leading tackler on special teams. He's appeared in 42 games with Kansas City. Uh, their leader in special team snaps in each of the past three seasons. This is a guy who knows Kansas City in and out. So, is there anything? <laughs> I mean, is this all about gaining intelligence from this player? What else could it be? I mean, it has to be, you right? You can't play the guy. Right? Yeah. I mean, Christian, your your thoughts on this? I mean, to me, it, it's a it's a brilliant move by the Bengals. You know, if they had the space, and they clearly did. Actually, they didn't have to make a, a commiserate move because he's not joining the team until the day after the Super Bowl, technically. Uh, but again, he's going to be in the building. Uh, so, uh, what what's going on here in in your mind, Christian? Wait, fill me in one more time. Sorry. So you said they they brought in Chris Chris Lamb. He played at South Carolina, if I'm not mistaken. He played a cornerback. I know who you're talking about. Yeah, he's a corner. Yeah, so he's he's he for the last three seasons he's led he's a he's appeared in 42 career games with Kansas City, mm-hmm. and he's been their leader in uh, special teams snaps played in each of the past three seasons, and he was waived. Uh, to presumably to make room to activate uh, uh, Clyde Edwards-Alaire probably for this game. So who goes out and claims him? The Bengals, even though he can't play until next season, but he can be in the building. Uh, I'm sure he's in the building today. And so one could deduce that the Bengals brought him in to get intelligence about what the Chiefs are planning to do this week against the Bengals, am I off on that? I've definitely heard, you know, of people, you know, speculating that that, that happens. Um, I'm pretty sure I've been in a situation where we've brought in a guy uh, on board from another team, um, pretty close to the time we're about to play them. Granted, we were, you know, not even in the playoff hunt, so I don't know why that really would have um, benefited us. Um, but if I remember correctly, I mean, I don't think they interrogated the guy asking for his playbook. You need to, you actually have to turn in your iPad and stuff in your playbook when you do get released or waived, um, or you're no longer with the team. They're very serious about that. However, could he probably offer some insight? Sure. Would it be enough to, to actually make a difference where they, you know, have just some, some new competitive edge that they're going to have, you know, so much more of a chance of winning this football game by picking him up? I don't think so. But I mean, yeah, I'm sure there, there probably is some some logic to it uh but I, I it's hard for me to answer that without knowing the other variables like did they need cornerback depth i mean because if this guy's you know you know cornerback for the chiefs for 42 games he obviously played in some big games with them and he has experience so you know he's, he's a good pickup um so i'd have to kind of you know know more about the situation like the depth chart of cincinnati and and whatnot but yeah may, maybe you, you might be on to something i definitely have heard that before that you know, teams will try to do that. I just, I just don't know how much they really can offer. Like I, I do remember being in a special teams meeting one time, and we had a guy uh, from a team that we were about to play. Now he wasn't newly acquired, but he happened to play with the team we were facing for several years, and he kind of, you know, came up and spoke uh, during a special teams meeting, kind of giving us heads up, like, hey, so if you hear them call this, this this is what they're going to do, or this is what this means. They're blocking to the right, they're blocking to the left. Just kind of like some of their their vocabulary that we could try to pick up on, but did that go out in the game and make us go block, 
you know, every punt. And no, it, it really didn't make that much of a difference. <laughs> but I, I guess it's kind of cool. Like, oh, yeah, we got a heads up. Cool. Appreciate that. You know what I mean? Like, it, it's just not like well, it's yeah. not to a point where it's like, oh, man, we just oh, we just stole this guy from you guys. Yeah. Now we have your whole your whole defensive playbook. Let's give this to Joe so he can study it for a few days. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, I don't think it'll be like that. Well, I, 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 I do have one sort of story to tell about this. And uh, it's a, a personal friend of mine, John Hess. He played middle linebacker at Nebraska, Market 111. Um, <laughs> and he uh, was drafted in the seventh round, bounced around the league, and he spent uh, uh, like basically an entire season on the Green Bay Packers practice squad. Mm-hmm. Well, right before the playoffs started, the Denver Broncos picked him up. And I swear they picked them up because they thought they might meet the Packers in the Super Bowl. And sure enough, they end up meeting the Packers in the Super Bowl. And it turned, you know, John, uh, in his year of at, at the Combine, had the highest Wonderlick score of anyone. Right? Smart dude. So he probably didn't need the playbook or the iPad. He could remember he, most he, of he, Yes. And you can see him on the sideline in the Super Bowl standing right next to um, the offensive coordinator of the Broncos, and he would see the the Packers line up in a certain formation, and John is yelling out the play that he believes is coming based on what he's seen. Wow. Did he get a ring? Yeah. They won. I think that was the game. Was that the helicopter? You know, the uh, when John Elway got uh... helicoptered, was that against the Packers? Oh, golly, you're really testing my memory. Yeah, here. but anyway, uh, I I know stuff like that happens, and it was just to me when that waiver wire pickup happened, uh, I was just like, hmm. Yeah, this is this is a uh, intriguing. No, I think that definitely is a possibility, but it also could just be them trying to slight uh, Kansas City because now he because usually when a team waves a guy, especially a guy that's been with them. Um, with with the rules now, they can have veterans on the practice squad. So typically, they would just wave a guy to make room for somebody else, and then bring that guy they just waved right back on the practice squad. But now that he's been claimed, they can't do that. I think it, if anything, it could be more of that. Like, hey, this is a, a good player. That's we're going to we're going to we're going to you know steal him away. That way, he can't return to their practice squad. We'll, we'll we'll put him on the back burner. But I don't think it's so much as oh, we're trying to gain intelligence. <laughs> but it could. I mean, I guess that is a benefit of having him. Yeah, it is kind of like Cincinnati messing with Kansas City too. By, Either by, way, by claiming by claiming this guy because I'm sure Kansas City just figured exactly what Christian said. Like you wave him and then you, you oh, he yeah. clears waivers. Oh yeah, expected them to come right and, back, and he goes yeah. right back to the practice squad. Exactly. Nope. Yeah, it was the smart intrigue. move. It's a smart move. Little head games from Florida. I got more questions for Christian about what it's like to face an opponent for the fourth time in less than a year. Um, I was asking him about these off days. I'm curious. You're listening to Big Noon Sports. Covering SEC sports like kudzu on the roadside. 
This is Big Noon Sports. Making a resolution to conquer your foot, knee, hip, or back pain this year? For over 30 years, the Good Feet Store's arch support system has helped people just like you improve performance. Cloudy below 33. Tomorrow, a mix of sun and clouds with a high at 49. Friday, a sunny day with a high at 54. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 47 degrees in Tuscaloosa. Back on Big Noon Sports, Lars Anderson seated in front of me. I'm Matt Coulter. We also have joining us remotely at the Tide 100.9 studios, former Alabama Edge rusher and national champion times two, Christian Miller. Uh, Christian also spent some time in the National Football League, so we've been going over some of the preparation and what they would be doing during the week, both the Eagles and the 49ers, and then on the other side, we were specifically looking at Kansas City and Cincinnati. But when you were going through what you do on a, a regular week, um, and I know you didn't, unfortunately, get a chance to play in a postseason, but is the Tuesday mandatory from week to week to week, and would you, would you imagine that that is the same case in the playoffs? You mean the off day? No, that's a mandatory off day. Yeah, it's, it's, no, that's you can't. Yeah, okay, you, that's you, a, you can't have that's you can't have a work day. Like everybody's mandatory throughout the league. Like you can't, and you, you can go in there and do treatment voluntarily. Uh, but that's a mandatory off day. Like they they can't um, have you. They can't make any obligations for you guys to be able to. Like that's your designated day to have to yourself. You know, hang out at home, spend time with your family, go get them. You know, typically though, guys will use that day to. Go get a massage. They'll have massages booked. Kind of weird talking about that, you know, the whole Deshaun Watson thing. But you know, you know, stuff like acupuncture, things to, you know, you know, rejuvenate and, and to revitalize your body, kind of get back, um, re- get reset if you can for the next week. Because again, Wednesday, um, you have a new work week, new opponent, and you're jumping right into it. You know, long meetings because you're you're really you know, you know, breaking down your opponent, but. Again, like what I was alluding to is it, when you get this far in the NFL, you only have a certain number of uh, padded practices, right? And majority of them are used throughout training camp. That's included. So during the season, you know, the first half of the season, you'll you'll have like one padded practice a week. You know, then you'll use shells and spider pads or just helmets only. Um, and then towards the end of the, the season, you know, again, guys are, you know, getting worn down. Their bodies are feeling that physical toll. So you, you don't typically have padded practices. So I doubt hardly any of these playoff teams are practicing in pads right now. Now, maybe if New England was in the in the playoffs, they might, you know, just knowing Bill Belichick and his old school mentality. But a lot of these teams, especially, you know, Philadelphia, you know, they got a younger coach. Wouldn't be surprised if, you know, they're just doing a lot of, you know, shells and spider pads just because they're putting more of a priority on the preparation, not so much on the you know physical clashing and, and practice because you want your guys to feel fresh and ready to go because, you know, you watch playoff football, you know, it's chippy, it's physical, you know, it, 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 it's almost like it's taken up a notch. So you want your guys full out ready to go. Uh, but yeah, in terms of off days, Tuesday's off day, you know, you just try to get off your feet, try to just, you know, rehab, you know, re, you know, revitalize your body and get ready to go on Wednesday. 
Was there any uh, tricks that you had to revitalizing your body, like cold water or, or ice water? Definitely, bath or, yeah. Not bath. I, I ice yeah, tubbed every day. Do? I used to ice tub every single day, yeah. but um, I, I love the ice tub. You know, just not only you know for the physical benefits, for the mental benefits. Um, it's amazing. So I, I would get in the ice tub. I'd go in there. I'd, I'd do a lot of um, almost like prehab. You know, I'd, I'd, I'd try to you know do hamstring exercises, uh, some core work, um, just to try to prevent any type of soft tissue injuries if I could. You know, I'd let um, you know the training staff you know do do stuff like cupping. I'd like to get cupping done, especially on my back. Mm-hmm. My back always felt tight. Uh, some acupuncture. A lot of these clubs will have you know these type of resources in the building nowadays, um, so you actually don't really have to go out. And, and get it booked though you usually you know have you know some masseuses that they bring up to the facility or they'll have you know a trainer on staff that's you know licensed to do that that acupuncture and whatnot so i used to utilize every resource that they had and i'd love to get a workout in as well um but yeah that's that's typically what i would do i would get in the tubs i'd do you know hot cold hot tub cold tub you know kind of um it's what we call as contrast i do that and get a massage get Cupping, acupuncture. I did everything I could because I, I, my body always was feeling wear and tear, even in college. So um, took advantage of it every time I could. So in the last 13 months, Kansas City and the Bengals have played three times. In, in, in this, you know, people are saying how Joe Burrow, he's 3-0 and against Patrick Mahomes. Well, you know what the score was in each game? It was, uh, or the the differential. It was three points, thirty four thirty one on January second, twenty twenty two, twenty seven twenty four. Last year's AFC Championship game that went into overtime, and then twenty seven twenty four on d- this past December fourth. So Christian, these teams know each other so well. How much? are the game plans going to change? Like what is Kansas city on defense going to do different to try to confuse burrow? And conversely, what are the Bengals going to try to do different to confuse Mahomes? Well, I've always been wanting to say like, you know, don't, don't get too far from yourself trying to be somebody you're not. And basically, you know, that means, you know, stick to the principles of your defense, you know, stick to the integrity of your defense. Don't try to change things too much, trying to be too fancy, too cute, just to throw somebody off, you know, be who you are. But if you want to implement some, you know, small things that you can kind of, you know, change, maybe change some leverages here and there, just because, you know, they might, because they have tendencies on you too. They might say, Hey, these guys love to play cover two on third down. Or, hey, these guys love you know, bringing pressure in this situation or they, you know, they have tendencies on, on you as well. So um, it's one of those things that um, you don't want to try to get too fancy, but you might try to shift things around. You might throw in, like, I, I, I think when I look back, you know, it's one of those things where we might add a couple, you know, new pressures throughout the course of the year. Um, especially at Alabama, we always were adding new pressures just because we would always, you know, self scout. We'd say, Hey, you know, we think this could be effective, right? So you're going to self-scout and you're also going to watch them and see what they've been doing as well and just see if you can find better ways to attack it. You'll you'll definitely look back and see the weaknesses that you had when you last played them and you'll address that. You might say, hey, last time we played them, you know, we, we were uh, weak against a perimeter run. You know, how can we... Uh, be have a better support system on the edge how how can we maybe if we switch the leverage from maybe if we you know play more of you know put this defensive end in more of a 
uh, six technique instead of a nine technique and let the, the safety have that um, edge responsibility and let him play inside out, maybe that would give us a, letter, a better uh, outcome against uh, those perimeter runs. So little things like that, you might see those type of adjustments being made. Um, but for the most part, man, I think it's all about really, you know, just doing what you, you do best and putting guys in positions to make plays. And I think that's the most important thing that these these coaches can do, especially on the offensive side of the ball, because we've seen some great play calling so far in the playoffs on the offensive side of the ball. And and that goes a long way because anytime you have playmakers, you want those guys making plays. And the best way to do that is to put them in the right positions. And that's why you'll see them implementing play designs, like putting Christian Kirk in the backfield of, of Jacksonville, creating those mismatches, making him uh, making a defensive end have to run with him, which is a, a total mismatch. So those are the type of details that you have to implement in terms of playoff football, because this is when it really counts. You know, you're playing with the best of the best and uh, you need every edge that you can you can find. So little details and adjustments can go a long way in the playoffs. It's good. Stuff Quickly. Right yeah, it's absolutely great stuff. You're not going to hear that many other places. Uh, Christian, uh, short on time, just to kind of a one sentence, two sentence answer. Did you ever do the acupuncture thing? Yes, I did. Liked it. I loved it. I, I love cool. acupuncture, got- cup and all that. Everything. Oh, I did acupuncture on my Achilles when uh, I after I tore it. I screamed like a little baby. I did not like it. <laughs> it feels well, better you, afterwards. You're no it's no. not fun. It's not fun <laughs> during. <laughs> not fun during, but it's, wow. it's nice afterwards. Hey, we're gonna talk some uh, college basketball with the one and only John Brady on the other side of this break. This is the Big Noon Sports Network. At Julio Jones Kia and Mazda, we want to set the record straight. Yes, the University of Georgia won the national title, and congrats to Coach Kirby Smart. Noon Sports, you got uh, Christian Miller, myself, Max Coulter, along with Lars Anderson being joined now by John Brady, longtime basketball coach. Goes back to his years here as head coach at Sanford. Very successful in LSU where he went to quite a few NCAA tournaments. And in 06, he actually reached the, was in the final four. Um, then he finished his career with the Arkansas State Red Wolves. Hey, John, it's Matt and the gang. I appreciate you joining us. How's life? Well, life's great for me personally, and our LSU basketball team's not going too well, but I'm not responsible for it anymore, so my life's pretty good, actually. <laughs> well, uh, let's jump right out there and talk a little bit more about the SEC because we, we just watched as um, Alabama dismantled LSU. Uh, LSU's rebuilding. I, I think we can all accept that, but I'm not sure a lot of people, particularly nationally, are ready to accept the – how good Alabama is. I mean, you, John, you know the game better than anybody I know. How good are they? Well, I, you know, I, I don't see really any weaknesses. I, I think two years ago, uh, Coach Oates' team was really good defensively, and I think last year they weren't quite as good as they were, and I think that was the difference in those two teams a little bit. Plus, they didn't shoot it as well a year ago. But this year's team, they not only can shoot it uh, – but they're they're defending well. Uh, they play well together. They're they're really really fun to watch. 
you know, when we did the game the last week against Alabama, I just I was watching the game and forgot to talk. You know, when it was my turn to speak on the radio, they're so they're so much fun to watch, and they seem like they play well together. And I think that that's a that's that's a huge uh, part of a team to 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 do is, is play well together and enjoy each other and. You know that goes back to the head coach building those kinds of relationships with his players, and uh, any any time you can get talented players to play together and play as well as they do, you know that, that that's coaching, and it also speaks to the kind of players that he does have that they have bought into what Coach Oates wants them to do, and and how he wants them to play, and it's really really fun to watch. Just sticking with Alabama for one more question. Other than Brandon Miller, who against LSU was just pure magic, put up 33, and it looked like an effortless 33, who on the Alabama roster has impressed you the most this year? Well, I I think the addition of Sears has been really good for them. You know, uh, I think think he's been a real good player, and and I, I like all those guys. I mean, he's got three pros on that team, two legitimate, really, pros. Um, and, and they're all long, and they have a lot of length, and they defend it. I, I just, you know, I'm just impressed with them. But I think Sears, when he's playing right, he can get good guard play, and, and they've come from turning the ball over a little bit to taking better care of the ball. And, and if those guards can, can play like that, uh, you know, I, I just think they've got an opportunity, uh, one of several teams, uh, you know, to advance real deep in NCAA. And if if things go right, barring injury, you know, they could go to the Final Four. I really see them capable of doing that. Whether they will or not, a lot of things have to happen. Uh, but certainly they're in a position to do that based on what they've done to this point in the season. Hey, John, I want to ask you about uh, the women's basketball team at LSU who's having a phenomenal season, uh, one of two undefeated teams in the SEC uh, which they'll take the other team on, which is South Carolina, um, shortly in, in a couple of games. But could you just touch on on the season that they're having and, and their success? Well, you know, Kim Mulkey, she she's I, I don't know all the women coaches in the country, but I, I do know her a little bit. And if there's one uh, lady I think who can coach men, she's one of those. Uh, I watched her practice the other day and. Uh, you, you definitely know who's in control, and really nobody speaks but her. Uh, assistant coaches inject occasionally, uh, but she runs a practice like I like it to be run. She's in charge. Uh, it's organized. Her girls are attentive. They, they listen. Uh, there's not a lot of uh, anything going on, no talking between players. Uh, really efficient. And, and plus, not only she can coach it, she can recruit it too, and she's got the best player in the country, arguably, on that team now. And and they say that she signed the best player in the country coming in next year. You know, women don't go early to the pros, so I predict if Kim Mulkey doesn't win the national championship this year, I think she's definitely will be the favorite to win it next year. She sounds like Pat Summit because uh, I went to one of her practices and I was so amazed. Uh, and I'm glad to hear you say you think she could coach at the men's level because I think Pat Summit could too. Okay, that little statement being aside, two quick questions for you, John. First of all, did the Alabama fans give you grief when you visited Coleman Coliseum? And who's like two, three, and four right now in the SEC? 
No, Alabama fans are great, man. They, uh, I can't say anything bad about Alabama fans or Alabama or, or anything in that state. I uh, got my start there, and it was good to me, and I still have a lot of great friends there. Now, my, my good friends, they give me grief sometimes, you know, but uh, I can take that. <laughs> I understand it. But, uh, no, I, I, I like coming to Alabama, and even if they do get, uh, you know, Rib me a little bit. It's all in good fun because uh, we had some good games, yeah. some good rivalries over there when I was coaching at LSU. But, you know, the best team to me by far is Alabama right now with Tennessee right on their heels. I got to see Tennessee up close and personal here uh, in Baton Rouge the other night. And a little different approach to how the game, uh, how they like to play the game. You know, Alabama's up and down, wide open, shoots it freely. Tennessee's more uh, controlled offensively. Uh, probably run more things in terms of, of screening away from the ball where, where Alabama's a penetrating kick team. Um, but different approach. Uh, I think, you know, Alabama likes an 80 game or so. Tennessee's a 70s kind of scoring team. But both teams are extremely well coached in what they want to do and their approach to the game. So I think, I think both of those teams are, are the two best, and I give the nod to Alabama. And, and then – then, you know, Auburn is probably in their third for me. Uh, and then, then I go with, then, then I go down to, to A&M and Kentucky with A&M being the most surprising team in the league at this point. So, uh, you know, we'll see. And Arkansas is capable, but they got themselves in a hole when they, when they, when they lost to us, they lost four in a row and they're three and five. So we'll see how they respond the rest of the way. But, you know, I like Alabama, then Tennessee. Auburn and A&M and Kentucky, and I think Kentucky's hitting their stride right now, and I think they've won four in a row, and I think they're getting better. Just uh, looking around the country, what conference do you think is the strongest from top to bottom, and what conference do you think will um, put the most teams in the NCAA tournament? You know, that's a good question. That's always difficult because, you know, there's so many so many variables will take place between now and that time to select. Uh, but if I had to go on the road and coach uh, in the country, I would hate to go to the Big 12, and I wouldn't like to go to the Big 10. Uh, and then third, I'd li- I wouldn't want to coach in the SEC and take teams on the road. I think those are the three toughest leagues, uh, the most talented leagues, uh, probably got the best coaches in the country outside of one or two that may be at UCLA and those kinds of schools. But – uh, if I had to go on the road and play outside of the SEC, I think it, the toughest places to play are in the Big 12 and in the Big 10. And then uh, after that, the SEC is a close third or it may even be second. But I think those three leagues are the best in the country. So I don't know how much professional basketball you watch, but if you if you had to compare Brandon Miller to to one pro player, who would that be? Well, the first time I saw him on TV, he looked like Kevin Durant to me and I think that's been said by a number of people. Uh, you know, he's got length. He can shoot a jump shot. Uh, he's probably maybe a little more, uh, maybe better ball handling. Uh, his ball handling skills at this stage of his game may be better than where Durant was because uh, he can bring it up and, you know, make the correct pass on a break. Uh, you know, he got 33 against us, didn't play eight minutes. I mean, you know, so – uh, he, he was phenomenal that particular game. But, you know, I, I, I think he's more like Kevin Durant. Uh, 
very versatile, can play off the post, could drive it, can shoot a three, uh, passes it well, and got a good handle with him. I, you know, I, I, you know, everybody got excited about Jabari Smith last year, but I'll make this statement. And I love Jabari Smith because I coached his father at LSU. I, I think Miller is better than Jabari last year, and we know where Jabari went in the pro draft. So, uh, you know, Alabama fans, buy your tickets these last four or five home games because uh, it could be the last time you see him. John, I'm going to wrap things up with uh, kind of a very broad question. I'm going to take LSU uh, 2006 out of the equation. But um, okay. in your life of coaching college basketball, do you have one team that you think was the best you ever coached against or the best you ever saw in a tournament? Wow. Uh, that's or just name a question, few. I'm not going to pin you down. I'm not going to. Pin you down on just one name. Name a few that just really, you know, just even blew John Brady away. And I, I do know that personally. That's hard to do. Well, when we beat Texas to go to the Final Four, we beat them in overtime. Uh, they had Lamarcus Aldridge and, and and three or four other guys that went in the pro game. Uh, then when UCLA beat us in the Final Four, they had six players drafted off that particular team to go in the pro game. Uh, but you know. You know, you go back. You, you can, I, you know, you. It, it just, it just depends. Florida, when 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 I was at LSU, they won back to back. You know, national championships. Those teams were very, very good. And and uh, you know, and you know, and Alabama had their chances. I mean, you know, at one time Mark Godfrey was ranked number one in the country as well for a couple of weeks. If you think about that, so uh, you know, at that time I was in the SEC, there were some really, really good teams, and it's hard to pick just one. Uh, but it was an exciting time, like it is now. I think the SEC now, uh, especially those top three or four teams, have some really, really good players, outstanding athletes, and, and the league is fun to watch. Uh, it's always fun to talk to you, John. Thanks for offering your time, and uh, we'll check back with you before the tournament time comes around, all right? I want to give a shout-out to Bucky McMillan in Sanford University. He's won seven in a row, and he's doing a heck of a job. Yes, he is. He's a heck of a coach in his own right. Uh, thank you, John. Talk to you soon. Appreciate it. All right. All right, you bet. John Brady, living the life. Bunch of Cajun food and running around New Orleans. Not a bad life in retirement. All right, we're going to wrap this show up on the other side of this break. It's Big Noon Sports. This is Big Noon Sports with Lars, Matt. And Christian. A national championship team covering a national championship team. The best sports talk in the state. Tide 100.9 and streaming on the Tide 100.9 app. By now, you know that sound. It's the sound of the Home Depot. But what about that sound? You're listening to a set of GE appliances. Completely cloudy, the low 33. Tomorrow, a mix of sun and clouds with a high at 49. Friday, a sunny day with a high at 54. I'm James Spann on the ABC 3340 Weather Center on Tide 100.9. It's 47 degrees in Tuscaloosa.
We are back on Big Noon Sports. Going to wrap this thing up. Returning to, uh, what do you want to do? Large, you want to you, you give me your OC, your ACC, your yeah, ACDC? Let's, let's just go over back a couple black. of uh, offensive coordinators that have been mentioned by reporters who I trust. And this comes from uh, Pete Thamel. Um, I know Auburn fans love Pete Thamel. Uh, Tongue-in-cheek. Pete and I worked together for many years at Sports Illustrated. But he said uh, that Jeff Lebby, uh, the offensive coordinator at Oklahoma, is is somebody to keep an eye on. And um, uh, and, uh, he sort of comes from uh, the Lane Kiffin branch and... And uh, they had some mixed results at Oklahoma last year, but he um, uh, it was a rebuilding year at Oklahoma. And here, here's an interesting one. If, if he can take calls in Thailand, which is where he is right now apparently, Cliff Kingsbury. Cliff, yeah, he's so. Uh... Cliff Kingsbury. And this would be kind of like a Lane Kiffin kind of hire. Right, and uh, that that to me is um, very intriguing. Um, I've heard the name Casey Woods uh, from SMU. Um, uh, Joe Brady, we remember him, uh, especially at LSU, uh, being the quarterbacks coach when Joe Burrow put together that amazing season. The, the book on him, though, is he really does not like to recruit. Have you heard that? I haven't. Okay. Um, Matt Patricia, former head coach of, uh, um, <laughs> basically Patricia and, and, uh, O'Brien essentially would be swapping positions. Yeah. Um, and, uh, there's reports that he, he could be on his way out. Um, and, uh, like we, we already discussed Dan Mullen, that's not happening, um, so it, it's wide open, and, uh, and, and, and I mean, Christian, I, I think you hit the nail on the head earlier in the show that, that um, Nick Saban's not in a hurry, and he is going to do his due diligence, and he is uh, going to, you know, find, I, I think, the right guy. Now, there's always this interesting sort of balance to me, Christian, do you want the the experienced head coach or do you want the really good recruiter? Because usually it's hard to find that same person in one body. It, it, does that make sense? Yeah, no, I, I think that's very fair. Uh, but I think the, the best thing you can do is find the right guy who aligns with your philosophy. And, again, that's why I think this is going to be a very um, extensive, intricate process of, of – hiring somebody because again you know i think right now is a critical moment for alabama football um to get the right people in place because the fact of the matter is they have the talent right they have the recruits that they need um in this class in classes prior so they they have everything they need it's a matter of getting the right people in the right spots that can develop this talent and i i would put more of an emphasis on that i i think Look, Alabama's going to kind of sell itself, right? Like, you just kind of have to be mm-hmm. terrible at recruiting to not be able to recruit to Alabama, if we're being honest, right? I mean, I'm say, speaking from experience that 
when I saw, you know, a coach with an Alabama A on his jacket at my football practice, I had that, that, that took all my attention, right? Versus like if you see Virginia Tech, no disrespect to them, great school, and I was very appreciative of them recruiting me and offering me a scholarship. But there's a big difference from when you see an Alabama A on a scout's jacket versus a Virginia Tech. Does that make sense? So I, I think, yeah. you know, I think the recruiting aspect should be able to come with it. Now, I know I emphasize that because that, that is important. However, if, if what you just laid out, if you're saying it's one or the other, which I agree, you know, it's, it's hard to find. It's like a perfect blend sometimes. I would lean more so the guy that, you know, provides the right philosophy, right? Which I feel like we need that kind of run the ball first mentality, but also understand how to put guys in position and utilize your players to, to let them make plays, to open up your offense, because that's where we are kind of trending. However, I think you still need to have the ability to run the ball. We saw that this year. I don't think we really could run the ball at will like we you know, typically have. And you look at someone like Lane Kiffin, so he almost went in reverse, right? He was always known for his ability you know, to throw the football and so explosive on offense. And then this year, they're one of the best rushing teams in the country. So a guy like Lane Kiffin that can do both, run the ball um, effectively and, you know, throw the ball effectively when you need to. I think that's what you need to go for, uh, especially at Alabama, because that's always been kind of our identity to really, you know, enforce, um, you know, in your will on your opponent by running the football first, letting that open up the pass game and letting your play, playmakers make plays. That's what we've always had. So that's who I'm going for. Logistically, uh, when Alabama hired a new coach, uh, coordinator, whatever the case may be, and you were there, was there like a meet and greet? Did they call all the players and get a room? And, okay, I'm gonna meet with the linebackers. Or how exactly did that? How did that work? You mean once once they were hired? Yeah, once they're hired, do they yeah. come to you? You yeah. go to him. Does well, Nick introduce them to you one by one? How does it work? Yeah, that's a great question. So when they hire somebody, you know, he'll introduce them during a team meeting. Basically, like when they first get on campus, he'll bring them in. They'll introduce themselves in a team meeting. Then, you know, they'll start kind of getting situated because they, they hit the ground running. These guys got to start recruiting right, right away, forming relationships with the current players and whatnot. Um, so they'll, after the team meeting, you know, they'll they'll say their offense coordinator, they'll meet with the offense at some point. Then they'll probably meet with some of the position guys and just kind of, you know, establish those relationships and let you get familiar with them. Then it kind of goes from there. That's a really good question. The reporter in me is just dying for Cliff Kingsbury. I want the good story. I want the juicy story. I want the the guy who uh, who's in Thailand right now, completely off the is, grid. Is that verified has a potential. that he's in Thailand? Like, yeah, I think he's tweeting about it. Oh wow, good for him. What do you it, do it, there? It, anyway? it, it's been reported, but uh, <laughs> we'll 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 address that tomorrow on Big Noon Sports. Everybody loves Taco Casa. Everything we do in our store, we prepare in our store. You know, we hand cut all of our tomatoes. We block and shred our own cheese here in the store. So we still.